Well, it is good to be with you, even though my glasses have now missed it up from wearing the mask, but we're used to that, aren't we? Um, and just, wow, you guys have done such a great job. Um, well done. I, I know you've probably all applauded yourselves and patted yourselves on the back and all the rest, but well done. Um, it really is good. So much better to be in this sort of, yeah, facing this direction. It's great. It's wonderful. And the tables, and yeah, well done. And apologies for um, the last time when I was meant to be with you, but I had just been running all over the place and uh, was not able to be with you in person. And so, yeah, here we are today. But thank you for your patience by watching the video recorded message. That was, it's appreciated. Great. Are you ready for something from the Word today? Good. Well, I'm a dad. Um, I have three children. And one of the blessings of being a dad is dad jokes. I don't know how it happens, but dad jokes just kind of come to you when, when you're a dad. Um, and so here's this guy at this interview, you know, can you perform under pressure? No, but I can try Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, or, or how about this one? And they, they get cornier, I need to warn you. This conversation between a husband and wife, the wife says to the husband, listen, I am just so fed up with your consistent wordplay jokes. Um, how can I stop my addiction? He asks genuinely. And so she, she replies, well, whatever means necessary. And of course he's going to say, no, it doesn't. Yeah, it's a groaner, isn't it? it it's, that is the correct response. But you know, if, if you think your puns are bad, wait until you see mine. Um, now, unfortunately, this is the way my brain works. And so when I see a Bible verse like this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What comes to my mind is everyone jumping up and saying, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know. But that's obviously not what the verse intends or means. And so let's... Um, are you up for a challenge? Yeah, you up for a challenge? Uh, what we've been trying to do at Hingham is we try to memorize a verse of the Bible a week. And it's quite simple, really. Uh, we, we had this discussion at our, our Bible chat, our midweek Bible chat. We're talking about the benefits of memorizing the Bible. And it really is incredible. Do you know that it doesn't happen in Christian circles, but in Muslim circles... Children are taught to memorize the Quran. Any guesses for the youngest child that has memorized the entire Quran? Yeah, well done. Three years old. At the age of three, a child is able to recite the Quran. Now, that puts me to shame because I only know a handful of verses. Um, I'm not sure about you, but the benefits of memorizing the Bible is that when we're in that tough time, when we're going through those hard situations, we want the Word of God to be able to encourage and inspire us. It says, the, the Holy Spirit says that He will bring to remembrance 
You can't bring it to remembrance if we haven't put it there in the first place. So we need to do the effort. So here's how we do it. We just read it out. So read it out loud, okay? You've got your masks on. I can't tell if you're cheating, um, but here we go. So Psalm 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. Now, we'll take away a word or two, and we will continue to read it. So here we go. Psalm 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. Psalm 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. Psalm 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. Well done, you're doing okay. Okay, here we go. Psalm 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. Okay, you're doing well. Here we go. Psalm 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. It's actually as easy as this. Here we go. Psalm 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. We're almost there. Here we go. Psalm 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Where is it? Psalm 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. Now different translations say it in a different way. So um, here we go. Let the redeemed enjoy their freedom. No, it doesn't say that, does it? That would be nice though. You know, let the redeemed just kind of enjoy themselves. Now you're redeemed, go and have a party. No, it doesn't say that. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Different English versions put it slightly differently. The NLT puts it like this. It says, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. It's not about just having a good time. You know, Jesus didn't say, follow me and I will teach you how to enjoy the finest fish. He, he didn't say, I'm going to show you how to eat fish. He said, I'm going to teach you how to become fishers of men. There's, there's a responsibility. The, this life that you and I are living as the redeemed is not so that we can just have all the blessings. Yes, it is a great life. But there's a responsibility that comes with it. In the message, it says this, All of you set free by God 
Tell the world. Tell how he freed you from oppression. Isn't that great? And from the Hebrew, it says this. Sorry, I, I can't read that. It's just if you start with bad puns, this is what you end up with. Um, it's uh, anyway, it's all of you set free by God, go and tell the world. Tell how he has freed you from oppression. Now, that is not dissimilar from what we know as the Abrahamic covenant, where God made this, this covenant with Abram. Um, it, it, he, he said to Abraham, and this is, it, it's essentially the foundation of the scriptures, both what we know as the Jewish scriptures, the Tanakh, or as you and I call it, the, the Old Testament, and then the New Testament. Um, this is really the basis of all of that. Uh, God calls this guy Abram, and he says, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land I will show you, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous. I mean, that's really cool, isn't it? That's just like saying, I'm going to save you, have a nice life. But it doesn't finish there. He goes on and says, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. God's covenant with Israel, his promise to Abram was not, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the entire world. Now, I don't have time as much as I would love to uh, teach you about this because I'm passionate about it, but I, I don't have time to get into all the details and tell you that, that Israel was set, the promised land was set right in the belly button of the entire planet. If wherever you were living at that time, you would have to pass through Israel in order to get to wherever you wanted to go. If you were coming from Arabia and going to Egypt to go and trade, you would pass through Israel. And as you pass through Israel, you meet up with a Jewish person and you say, hey, Benjamin, who, who are the gods that I need to make sacrifice to in order to pass safely through your land? And Benjamin would look at you and say, what do you mean gods? We only serve one God. In fact, there is only one God. And you would go on your way to Egypt and you'd be thinking, wow, that Benjamin guy is a little bit weird. And on your way back, you'd stop and you'd say, hey, Benjamin, tell me about this one God. God's plan for the Israelite nation was that they would be a blessing to the entire world. The... Um, Let's just go back for a second. The, the Americans have, have this saying, I'm not sure if uh, it's, it's popular here in the UK, but where there's a top line, there's a bottom line. It's like where there's a blessing, there's always, there's always a bottom line. I, I guess you could say, what's the catch? You know, th this is what, but, but what's the real deal? What's the bottom line? And so the covenant with Abram, the top line is, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you famous. The bottom line is you need to tell others about me. And so we could correctly say that God 
saved us because he loved us. That is true. Equally true is this. God saved us because he loved someone else. Just think about that for a second. God has redeemed us because he loves our neighbor. Who's going to reach your neighbor? He is through our witness. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Not, I will teach you how to eat fish the best way. Now, I, I was recently given an Amazon gift voucher. Um, that's just a photograph. That's not necessarily the amount that I was given, but that, that is nice, isn't it? Um, and when I went onto the Amazon site to go and you know, put this voucher into my account, this is what I saw. Redeem an Amazon gift card. That's what the word means. Or is it? You see, I, I'm saying I've been given this piece of paper which is mine and its value. In actual fact, I've been given the value of 100 pounds worth of goods from your store. I now want to claim that which is mine. I want to redeem it. That is what God has done. And so in the, like I mentioned, the, the, the Jewish scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, there are three references to this redemption act. There were three, three scenarios where someone would be a redeemer. It's also known as a kinsman redeemer or a family guardian in colloquial English. The first was when a family member was murdered. Now, in those days, there were no sort of Columbos or, you know, other great detectives, Hawaii 5.0, NCIS, none of these sort of uh, police detectives who would go and seek out who the murderer was. Hercules Poirot was not born yet, okay? Um, and so if, if one of your family members was murdered, someone could take on the responsibility to seek out and find out who the murderer was, not in like a bounty hunter way, um, but in order to get justice. And that person would be called the kinsman redeemer. The other instance was helping a family member out of serious debt or slavery where one of your family members made some bad decisions or circumstances, things happened, a flood or an earthquake, and they lost all their possessions, then, then you would go and bail them out, and you would, be, you would redeem them. You would buy them back out of slavery. You, you would then also be the kinsman redeemer. And then the third instance, and we know this from um, the, the book of Ruth particularly, is where a family member, particularly a male family member, would pass away without leaving any children. Then someone from the family would have a child with the, the wife 
in order to keep the name going. And it's not a practice that, you know, every man sort of put their hands up and jumped towards. It, 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 was, it was actually, I don't want to do this because, you know, if, if I father a son with you, then what about my family? And, and so read through the book of, Bo, of Ruth and, and see what happened to Boaz. Uh, Boaz is an amazing man. Before he got married, he was pretty ruthless, but then he calmed. Sorry, it does happen, I know. Um, the jokes get worse. They just, yeah. I've only had one coffee today. Okay. So, in Exodus, God says to Moses, here's what I'm going to do. Tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So, if God is telling Moses he's going to be their redeemer, would the Israelites fit into any one of these three categories? Was there a murder that was taking place that needed justice? Well, yes, read the story for yourself. Um, in fact, the, the whole of Genesis, it would be great for you to read it. If you haven't yet, find out how the Israelites ended up in Egypt. And they were slaves for 400 years. That is a long time. 400 years. And during that time, God was blessing them. And so, and they were being obedient to God. The one command that they knew, be fruitful and multiply, they were doing that. And so Pharaoh was getting worried. And, and so he instructed people to kill off the the male babies that were born. Just wipe out all the male babies. And um, horrific stuff. So yeah, God was, God was bringing justice. Was he helping a family member out of debt or slavery? Well, the Israelites were slavers. Uh, they were in slavery. They were slaves for 400 years. Was there a, a possibility that the, the family name, or in this case the nation, would be wiped out yes i mean essentially it was genocide government funded genocide uh, that pharaoh had just said kill all the male babies and so god steps in on all three counts and he says i'm going to redeem you this is what it means to be a redeemer there's a fourth instance which is spiritual because some, not sometimes, all the time, we need spiritual redemption as well. You see, the Israelite nation were, were being commanded to serve Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a kind of a self-proclaimed God. And the Hebrew, the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, the word for serve and the word for worship, it's exactly the same word. And so the Israelites were forced to worship Pharaoh, to serve Pharaoh. And God said, Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can be free to worship me or to serve me. 
Um, they needed spiritual redemption. But it wasn't just bringing them out. He brought them out in order to bring them into the promised land, out of Egypt, into the promised land, out of slavery, into freedom. Dr. Christopher Wright puts it like this. He says, the exodus was not a movement from slavery to freedom, but from slavery to covenant. There was a relationship. There was responsibility that was involved in that covenant. Now, if we jump all the way into what we know as the, the New Testament, um, where we meet Jesus and all the promises. Just by the way, the New Testament is not going to make sense to you unless you actually know the background. You need to know Jesus' backstory, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through to Malachi. Uh, you need to know that in order for the story of Jesus to really make sense. But there was this time in Jesus' life where he took three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. He took them up onto a mountain, and before their eyes, right in front of them, Jesus changed. He became transformed, transfigured. His clothing just became a brilliant white. And these two men appeared with Jesus. And they were recognizable as Moses and Elijah. And they started having a conversation. What, what would you do if you were there? <laughs> Peter didn't know what to do. He just said, um, Jesus, this is really cool. Can I put up three tents and let's just hang out here for a while? He, he just wanted to stay there. But Luke actually tells us what they were talking about in this conversation. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus were discussing, in English we read, they were discussing, uh, verse 30, Luke chapter 9, verse 30, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Other English translations say, uh, they spoke about his exit, which he was about to fulfill. How do you fulfill an exit? Um, it, it, is, it is a correct translation. If anyone been to uh, Greece, Athens airport in particular, anyone? No one been to? You need to go to Athens. <laughs> Come with me on a mission trip. Um, First time I went to, went to Athens, um, we've, we've planted a church on the island of Crete, just by the way. The Greek nation are, believe it or not, classified as an unreached people group. Less than 0.02% of them actually worship Jesus. Um, the majority of Greeks, in fact, you can't be a Greek citizen unless you are a member of the Greek Orthodox Church. But the Orthodox Church does not believe in salvation through the blood of Jesus. Uh, simply put, they say, if you're a member of the church, you're, you're saved. Um, and they worship the saints and all the rest. So it's an unreached people group. We go in there, we, we work not only with the refugees, but, but the difficult part is 
trying to share the gospel with Greek people. Um, but that's beside the point. Don't get me talking on mission. I will not leave here. Um, but I walked into Athens airport and I looked around and, you know, there's passport control and all the rest and all these, fun, I mean, Greek is just, it's, it's like everything is just Greek to you. It, it's like weird. But I look up and there above the doors, there's this, these huge signs saying Exodus. Because it's written in the Greek capitals and it actually looks almost like the anglicized alphabet. Um, the alphabet that you and I use, and it just reads Exodus, except it looks like there's a spelling mistake because it's E-X-O-D-O-S. So you kind of think, oh, these Greeks don't know how to spell English. No, actually, it's the Greek word echados, or echados, which, which just means exit. But they were talking here about something way bigger. My, my Bible, what I love is I can just hover the, the cursor, the mouse cursor over a word and it gives me the original meaning in the language in which it was written. And so what we have translated as departure or exit, it actually is that Greek word echados. What Moses and Elijah were talking about was way more than Jesus dying you know, shuffling off this mortal coil, exiting this life. They were actually talking about the exodus that he was about to achieve. He's talking there with Moses, the one who, who brought about the first exodus with the entire nation of Israel out of captivity into the promised land. He's there with one of the main prophets, Elijah, who prophesied that this was going to happen for all of creation. And now Jesus is saying, I'm here to do this. I am going to fulfill this final act of exodus, this final act of redemption of the entire creation of God. I'm going to bring it out of slavery into promise. That's what they were talking about. They were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, Jesus, that's great. I'm glad you did this, but you know, I, I don't really need it because I don't actually need a savior. If that is 100% true of you, that's great. Um, you are really fortunate Blessed would be the only word if you don't need a savior. The rest of us do. I did some research on mental health. Ruth could probably give far more accurate um, statistics here. But in 2016, a survey was done. And then they worked out that one in every four adults in the UK have mental health issues. That was 2016, before lockdown. <laughs> uh, what would the statistics be like today if it's not 100%, it's pretty close. <laughs> In 2016, uh, for children, it was one in every 16. I think that is, yeah, right now, 
we're probably looking at 120% (laughs) um, of young people having problems with mental health. We need a savior. We need someone who will redeem us. Poverty. Coming from Africa, I, I thought I understood poverty. Well, h- how do you understand poverty? But I, I thought I'd, I'd experienced and witnessed poverty. I mean, I've, I've seen some horrific, horrific stories, um, situations. You know, you, you, you go to a, a, a schoolroom in, in Mozambique and, and you see these seven, eight, nine-year-old uh, children and they've got babies. It's not their babies, it's their siblings, but they have no parents because their parents have died due to complications with AIDS. And so here you have child-reared families. Um, But Africa is not the only continent that, that has poverty. And do some research on the poverty statistics here in the UK. We need a savior. But the biggest problem is not the mental health or the financial. Most people don't realize this, but it's a spiritual issue. Because every single human being is going to be confronted with the reality of what they did with Jesus during this life. You see... The life that you and I are living right now, this is not it. This is just the dress rehearsal for the real deal. When this body stops functioning, (laughs) then life begins for eternity. And how we spend eternity is determined by what we do here and now. It matters not how much we own the cars, the house, the cash. What matters most is how we live and die and how we spend our dash. What's a dash? Well, you see, life is nothing more than a dash between two dates. Born, died, dash. That's this life. How do we spend our dash because how we spend our dash determines how we're going to live for eternity smoking or non-smoking possibly one of the most well-known portions of the bible is this this is how much god loved the world he gave his son his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. God doesn't want to just say, hey, This life is going to end. You're in trouble. You've got a spiritual need. No, no. He sent Jesus in order to redeem us. And so that leaves us with 
with one of two responses. Either we need to say, God, I need you. I need redemption. And, and if you're in that situation, um, don't worry, I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask everyone, you know, close your eyes, put your hand up. We, we're going to have communion in just a few moments. Uh, that's why on the table there's the communion cups and everything. During that time, if you need to say to Jesus, I'm a sinner, I know I am, and I need you to redeem me, then that's your moment. As you partake, as you take that, that little piece of wafer, thank him for the fact that he broke his body. He allowed his body to be broken in order to break the power of sin. And, and his blood was flowed freely in order to pay the price for our sins. The second response is, well, let's, let's go out there. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's go and tell others about all the good things that he has done. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How do I say so? Um, great question. You see, the, the exodus is way more than just a, an event. It's, it's a model for behavior. This is how you and I should behave. If God redeemed us, he then expects us to behave in likewise manner. We need to live like those who are redeemed. The Israelites were to reflect God's costly compassion. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I compassionate with those with whom I come into contact with? And very often it's easy for me, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to be compassionate with the people in church. You know, the people who I know, the people who treat me nicely. But what about those people who don't treat us as nicely? Are we compassionate with them? Are we committed to justice? I could make some enemies right here, right now, because um, uh, if you know, we, we're supposed to only say things which are politically correct. And but I, I've actually been quite. I think the only word is shocked at the response that I've seen to the influx of, of refugees coming in from Afghanistan. Um, and, and that's only from social media. And it's, it's just comments from people who I have not met. I don't know their backstory. But they are so angry with the fact that these people from Afghanistan are now being given houses that should be given to our people. And they're getting benefits which we can't get. Are we behaving like God? Are we committed to justice? The, the good news is, uh, one of my friends, in fact, many of you probably know him. His name's Phil Thorne. Uh, he, he's runs a live church in Norwich. He, he has actually put out on Facebook, please stop bringing donations of clothing for the Afghani refugees. We've got too much. <laughs> um, that is great, isn't it? That, that's the way it should be. 
that's how we should be responding. God showed a caring generosity for the nations. Are we doing the same? Are we living like the redeemed? How do I do that? Practically, you know, Andy, this is great, and, you know, but, but my name is not Alex. I, I don't run this whole sort of helping people and, you know, all these little businesses and charities, and I, I, I don't do that. I, I'm, just, I'm just a normal person. How can I do it? Well, it could be as easy as this. Disciple someone. What does that mean? Well, it, it might mean a formal relationship with that person where you, you work through particular Bible studies or you pray together once a month or once every fortnight. But it could be as informal as smiling at the barista at Costa when you go there for your weekly coffee or daily coffee. Letting them see the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And when they ask, hey, why are you always so happy? You can tell them. That's making a disciple. Discipling is simply helping someone to get from where they are one step closer to Jesus. That's all. And so you can make a disciple. You could be a disciple. What do I mean by that? Great question. Really glad you asked. I was about to tell you. Um, in order to be a disciple, the, the best example of how to be a disciple is the relationship. Read up for yourself the relationship that existed between Elijah and Elisha. Because you see, very often, the person who has walked with Jesus longer, who has the experience, they, they don't want to say, you know, Aaron, I want to now disciple you. No, no, it... Some, most of the time it has to come from the person who is going to be discipled. Elisha was the one who kept going up to Elijah and saying, hey, would, can, can I be with you? And every time, read it for yourself, every time Elijah said, hey, get away. What, what have I done to you? But Elisha was there following him. Even down to when Elijah was going to die when he was going to go up to to heaven in the chariots of fire Elisha was right there and Elijah said to him stay here he said no 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 where you go I'm going I'm following you then he said stay here he said no 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 I'm going where you are stay here no no where you go I will go be a disciple learn from those who have more experience in the Lord than you do Peter that bloke who um was with Jesus when, when his clothing and everything, his appearance changed on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he was writing his memoir uh, in, in 1 Peter, he said this, For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. That's what it is. God has blessed us. We need to take that blessing and give it to others. And I can't think of a 
a more appropriate time to go into communion than, than right now. Um, oh, let's just stop that. Is that, a, yeah, okay, you were controlling that, or me? Was that me? Okay, sorry about that. Let's go back, there we are. Um, if, you've, if you've got your Bible, open it to the book of Job. Because I think this, mm, Job, you may or may not know this, Job is the oldest book in the entire Bible. Um, if, if you want to put it on a timeline, Abraham and Job were contemporaries, although they lived in very different places on the planet. Um, Abram came from a place called Ur, and he traveled down through what's called Mesopotamia, and then God took him on a roundabout route into what was then Canaan, now become the promised land. Um, Job, living at the same time as Abraham, he came from a land called Uz. Many people believe that was way, way back, that was Uzbekistan. Um, and he, from all the way out in Uz, I mean, this is absolutely mind-blowing. He didn't know, he didn't have the relationship with God that Abram had. I mean, Abram was the start of the Jewish nation. But Abram was obviously not the only person God was talking to. Because here's Job, and in chapter 19, verse 25. Now, to understand Job, <laughs> Job went through, if you haven't read this book yet, oh my goodness, if, wow, this guy had problems. Um, in, in the space of just a couple of days, he lost, he lost all his possessions, he, he lost his... Um, uh, his children, he, was, he even lost his own health, his physical health. His body broke out in painful boils. And then if that wasn't bad enough, his three closest friends came along and they gave him this wonderful comforting advice. They said to him, Job, do you want to know why you're going through what you're going through? It's because you're a sinner. You need to get yourself right with God. And it's, yeah, it, it's when everything is at your worst. But listen to Job's response. In verse 25 of chapter 19, he says, But as for me, <laughs> I love this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. How did he know that? And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. That is faith. That is the redeemed saying so. It doesn't matter what's happening to me right now. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he's going to stand upon this earth and I'm going to see him with my own eyes. 
I know that I have a redeemer. And now I, I don't know every situation that is being faced right here. I don't know what you're going through. God knows. What I do know is that we have a redeemer and we need to hold on fast to him. And so as we have communion, I want you to listen to the words of this song. And if you need to, talk to God. If you need to cry, you go ahead. Um, but whatever you need to do, you commune with God. And then after the song, we'll, we'll close in prayer.